juicy, sizzling steak, hand-tossed original dough, a four-cheese blend, and Papa John's creamy signature Philly sauce. It's like the best cheesesteak sandwich ever, but way better, because it's on a pizza, which means you can share it. So show some brotherly, or whateverly love, and get yourself one today. Right now, at Papa John's, get a large Philly or any large specialty Papa John's pizza for just 12 bucks. Yes, 12 bucks. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. At participating U.S. stores, prices may vary. Tax and tip and fee extra. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock. Bringing your inner light to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this Tuesday edition of Everyday Connection in... Oh, pro- cut it out. Cut it out. Cut it out. No, no, no. Stop. <laughs> Y'all sound too serious. It's 2012. Brother, we going to celebrate. This is our All first right. show of the new year. So we'll just call it then, uh, woohoo, Everyday Connection 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. There you go. There you go. I was just about to say, our first ever episode in the year 2012. So, we're new at this again. (laughs) We We get to to make mistakes again. (laughs) Okay, well, we have an exciting show, but we're going to talk about stuff first. Rick, what do you want to talk about? We're going to talk about stuff first. Well, in in light of that introduction, we have to talk about our inner child, it seems. Oh, yes. Yes. What is an inner child? Uh, I don't know. I just thought I was a child. <laughs> I went inner, <laughs> outer. I, I thought that was a belly button thing, any outy. But oh, uh, same thing. No, our our wonderful friends and we like to call them family uh, at Inner Child. Uh, fantastic group of folks. Uh, our brother Bill in charge over there. Just Bill. Uh, of course, he would argue with us about the being in charge part, but um, the I'm leader of the women. pack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Poor He's guy. still not in charge of anything. Um, they have just wrapped up their their poetry contest. Yes, and, they're uh, busily tabulating and judging the global entries. I, I hear they've had entries from all over the planet. They've had. We haven't heard from them in, like, days, days. except for a quick, you know, Happy New Year. Got to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was a success, a complete and utter success. And so excited. I can't wait to find out, you know, who the winners are and get them on the show. And that'll be fun. And um, what a fantastic way to celebrate um, a, a, a new year uh, in the spirit of rebirth. And, you know, wow, 2012, this is cool. We made it. We're here. Yay. It's all about healing and world peace. So how... You can't get cooler than that, gosh darn it. Yeah, how do you get cooler than that? It would take work. Mm, it could, but you know what? You could get as cool as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. especially if you're a big light in the sky. Big shiny light that moves across the sky and touches all the hearts that it sees by the name of Aurora. <laughs> you're sweet. Hi. Our guest tonight. I had to introduce her myself. I'm being 
selfish tonight. Being selfish and silly. I thought you were talking about the sun or the moon. <laughs> selfish and silly. But um, I wanted to start the show off on a really light note, even though we're going to be talking about some really cool and semi-serious stuff. Um, I want to have fun tonight, so let's do that. I can't remember when we haven't had fun. That is so true. That is so true. So, Aurora, without further, without further ado, who the hell are you and what do you do? Wow. Well, I am, um, I guess I'm a product of where I grew up. I grew up in the Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco in the 60s and 70s, and um, I had a kind of a a typical beatnik kind of uh, beatnik parents, which really gave me an introduction to natural science and ecology as a, a foundation for really a spiritual foundation for living in on planet Earth. There was kind of a very um, a strong ally or spiritual alliance between the natural world and the scientific world, and and so that's kind of a foundation for me and the ecology kind of stayed with me and I went on to do you know different things but I came to art and um, kind of large-scale mosaic art in Philadelphia was uh, in the early 90s was where I really kind of got in my hands up to speed with my with my heart and um, was making really uh, three-story exterior mosaics with an artist named Isaiah Zagar there in Philadelphia and I worked with him for a couple of years and then I trained with a tile setter and a mason Jerusalem Papalardo and a third generation Italian uh, mason and tile setter and uh, so I got some craft and then I brought the ecology back into it and started thinking about how to add soil-based life into mosaic art and kind of uh, things grew from there. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um for those for those who are listening that don't know, um, Rick and I have taken on the rather entertaining task of bringing together people from around the world and um creating a film that will highlight eco sustainable living, um and a whole bunch of different eco sustainable living projects. Aurora is the first guest that we're bringing on the show who is going to be featured in the film. Um, and what better way to that, start the year? What better way to start the year? Um, and our reasons for that is because her Habitile project is absolutely stunningly ingenious. Um, and can you elaborate on the basics of, of what Habitile is, how you make it, um, and what its, you know, what its benefits are? Sure. Um, well, there's a so there's a the kind of foundation of the of the project is a really focused on urban livability, right? How do we live well in urban environments? And so, like the big the difference the main difference between an impoverished neighborhood and a wealthy neighborhood in cities is the amount of greenery that is present. So understanding that factor that the green space is what creates, um, you know, air quality, 
Uh, it also contributes to water quality and just a sense of, um, you know, beauty and well-being allow for, for people to feel good. And when people feel good in a place, then they reach out, you know, to each other and create community. So it was really with an understanding that we need green space in in urban environments uh, that I started. And so it came from art and beauty and ecology, and it moved into uh, efficiency, if you will, and an understanding of um, green building principles uh, and how the green building sector aligns with the um, the human desire for for beauty and well-being is aligned with the energy and water efficiency goals of the green building. So if we start to look at a concrete building as the bone structure of the urban environment, and we realize that it's missing its flesh, it's missing the skin, it's missing the hair, the cilia, which are basically right the plants and the soil that come onto the bones of the earth, and um, we start to see that we can clad or, you know, coat our concrete surfaces with soil-based life, that's really, that's really the, the law, big scale goal. And what I did was come up with a, a modular approach, which is kind of a, a combination between a tile and a planter uh, that can be, you know, it's kind of a do-it-yourself oriented approach in that you can have one module, you can have 10 modules, you could have a thousand modules, and they would allow you to then uh, create a living surface for a fence or a concrete wall. And the benefits there, I think we kind of got back into um, well-being and health and beauty, but health is a big piece of it. And I think what we're also doing is starting to craft a pathway for the green trans right the green transitional economy where we are making them out of this extended polystyrene which is sometimes known as styrofoam um, it's a waste product that's really choking the oceans and filling the landfill at re enormous rates we're using it mostly for uh, insulation and packaging and so I'm interested in taking that expanded polystyrene waste and grinding it up, blending it, and creating a, a material that is a lightweight, insulative, and porous surface that can become what is like a second skin for concrete surfaces. Mm. And I have to say that, um, you know, making it light, lightweight by, by adding that material so that it can hang on the outside of a building, uh, but also... Styrofoam is kind of one of those things. Expanded foam is one of those things we hadn't figured out what to do with once we make it and are done with the purpose of it. We don't. It doesn't recycle well. It doesn't many things well. It floats in the ocean well. Yes. <laughs> which is what, in part, got this whole movie project of ours started. It really, you know what? And I think you just hit <sighs> a nerve with me, Rick. You really just hit a nerve with me, and I think that's why. Um, that's why, you know, I'm so excited to have her here tonight and why her project in particular is so moving for me because the whole thing that got this crazy idea to make a film started was Rick showing me a movie of, um, you know, I can't even say it. I'm not going to say it because I'm going to start crying again. Okay. I'm going to have to cry. Aurora has a solution to this 
this thing that I saw and um, I'm still, even now, knowing you, you know, after having talked and after having done some of the research, it still stuns me. Every time you explain it, I'm still stunned by it. It's uh-huh. just... Well, and it, it it's an ingenious method because I, uh, you know, you look prior to the time that automobiles... Uh, convinced us to pave over all of the roads and streets and um, you know you look at the old buildings around uh, Europe they're covered with ivy with something there's something living on the walls of those buildings except where they've you know taken it off pretty much and uh, but how do you do that with buildings that are surrounded in this island of concrete and uh, the way you do it is you find an aurora and she she shows you. It's amazing. Uh, because as somebody that lives in a huge urban area, Houston, Texas, uh, besides being the first word uttered from the surface of the moon by a human, it is a place that downtown Houston is, we've got some great revitalization going on. We've got a light rail system. Uh, that's all wonderful. But they really need to remodel the air, let me tell you. A little extra oxygen would be nice, and mm-hmm. and a lot of oxygen would come off of uh, some of these wall systems that you that could be put in, yeah, you know, without covering the whole skin of a thirty-story building. Although you could do that. Now, I I'm guessing that because this is a, a material that is a waste product, this is a fairly economical solution. So this could actually be be worked into cities like the Manila, Manila Philippines, where their air quality is absolutely horrendous. Um, into the bigger cities in China, where smog is, you know, it, it's gotten to the point where it's rather scary. Some of these cities, if it's an economic solution, and and there's waste styrofoam in every country of the world, pretty much. So this is something that can be done anywhere. Yeah, I think. What we need, I haven't real, I haven't tooled up. I'm not in production. I just uh, working with um, a ma- small manufacturer here in Oakland, California, where I am right now. I'm in the Bay Area in California. We have, you know, it's a simple process, really. It's it needs to be ground, but so the it's economical, maybe from a do-it-yourself perspective. But grinding the styrofoam is the bear. Also, collecting the styrofoam is tricky. So what what I've got planned, if I can get uh, up and running, is that we will designate our manufacturing facility will be designated as a drop-off point because I know that people feel so guilty every time they put this stuff in the garbage. So really what I'm, I'm thinking is that we don't have to collect it. We can just designate ourselves as a free donation spot because I, people have to pay to put this in landfill, or they right. put in ocean, or they put it in the in the landfill anyway in their garbage. So they pay for the, you know, for someone to take it away. So if we can provide a drop-off site, I think that could work. But um, well, and 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 in the greenest community around, there's not a recycle bin for styrofoam that goes in the landfill bucket, the trash bucket, yes. right? And yeah. Not just these coffee cups folks are drinking out of at work, but no, the, I'm thinking, the packing I'm thinking, peanuts. The packing I'm thinking peanuts. of all the stores that, you know, how many you know I mean, 
all the all the media stores, computer stores, all the computers that get packed, the TVs, the all the, anything electronic is packed in this stuff. It's that, and also all of the um, pharmaceutical, um, the every all the instruments, all of the fluid bags, anything that has to do with blood or organs or anything like that gets shipped in styrofoam. Also, the biggest consumer of styrofoam for insulative packaging is the fish industry. And that's the global statistic is they actually, because of the freezing and um, the need for for keeping things cold, they they use it. Um, and, and yet the irony is, is that if this this um, waste product is not put to good use, if, if we don't you know, put a check on our misuse and abuse of this waste product that the fishing industry uses so much of, we will not have fish anymore to eat. Yes. So the very product that they're shipping the fish in is going to ultimately kill off the oceans and, you know, our food source. Yeah, it doesn't embody the, our, our time so perfectly. It's it's so ironic. Like it's it so, Well, it does. So I mean, Mother Nature recycles all of the things that she has invented. She recycles yeah. them all. She's the greatest composter of all. Well, so we should we should why should we have to come into at a lower standard? You know, oh. we made it, and we make so much of this styrofoam for a one-time use. I mean, you know, you order up some some of these computers. They they put it together the day you order it. Little robots put it together, and then they stick it in a bunch of styrofoam and they ship it to you. And so two days later, you throw it in the landfill. Yep. You know, it's it's nutty, and um, I don't want to I don't want to make you cry, Jean. But I've got to for our listeners. I've got to say, uh, she's talking about the Great Pacific. She's she's talking about the Great Pacific Trash Island. Uh, there's basically an island made out of plastic shopping bags, styrofoam, plastic bottles. And I live in Texas, and we talk about everything being bigger. It's bigger than Texas. So there you go. Yeah, in California, the I think the 2006 statistic was 378,000 tons of styrofoam waste from California alone, and that's only the documented figure. So, And I can't even imagine what a ton of styrofoam, like it must be a football field, because it's so lightweight. Yeah, it, it, I just can't even imagine what a ton, 2,000 pounds of styrofoam must take. I, I don't know. I haven't really understood what that looks like in volume, but I think to think about it is maybe one football field, like let's say six inches high or something at, mo at least. And if you, t if you say that only in California we produce 378,000 tons, that's just the statistics are really, really staggering. So I am, I am really interested in looking. Well, first, uh, from a maybe a core perspective, is how do we as a species align our economy with the health of the planet? I think that is the challenge of our times. We've we created the economy. We created all of these systems that we're using for exchange and you know basically you know ego and all these other things that we're doing well. But we have to be in alignment with the earth, and I think we're coming to a time, and I think 2012 is our year, you know, and I think absolutely because that's our goal. It's like if we don't figure out how our economic system can actually be of benefit to the earth, 
then we're just chewing, you know, we're chewing our, our own legs off and we know that. And I, I think we do know that as a species now and maybe there's some interests who don't want to face that. But I think as a species in general, I think we all know that with the climate talks that just happened in Durban and South Africa, the global south very much is very aware of how important the ocean health is to survival. And um, I think as a you know as a as a as an awareness a consciousness of a of a humanity we understand that and i think we're just going now we have to find the growing pains we're going through these birthing pains of figuring out how our systems are going to align with our consciousness i think a large part of it is that people are so overwhelmed um i think when they finally do tune in to how much damage has been done and if if they listen only to only to the problems that we have, they become overwhelmed. And they're really, I think, a large part of our problem is that people are scared. They don't know where to turn for a solution. It seems like too big a problem to solve. Yet mm-hmm. here's, I mean, you and, and thousands of other people out there who have come up with these absolutely ingenious, out-of-the-box solutions, um, and, and put all those solutions together, and you know, we we we, what problem? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's so. That's part of I think what I'm trying to do is not just come up with a, a groovy product, but I'm really I'm trying to come up with a solution that is comprehensive and integrated, and in that it takes waste streams and it gives employment. I think. You know, focusing on urban employment and the green collar economy, if you will, or sometimes we talk about it as the Green New Deal here in the United States in reference to the last Great Depression when um, we had the Franklin Roosevelt came up with what he called the New Deal, which put huge amounts of people back to work doing public works. And I think if we start to focus on the commons, and we recognize the the systemic benefits of the living walls back to that of, right, we're looking at carbon sequestration, urban heat island effect reduction, stormwater sequestration, oxygen production, uh, wildlife habitat support, and even food growing, you know, areas, as well as if we get into integrating the facade, say we have a living roof and a living wall, on a building and we take our shower water or the gray water, not, not toilet water, which is called black water, but right. things like showers or sink water. And we run that water as that we use that for our irrigation and we run it through the roof and the walls and we catch it at the bottom for reuse. We could use that water at the bottom. It's been cleansed. That's how we clean our water. Anyway, we give it to nature and she runs it through sand, you know, and dirt and through her greatest filtering system, the earth itself and the rivers and the algae and all the little microbes and us, right? We're actually great big biofilters walking around, drinking and filtering air and water, like like everything. That's kind of the definition of life. Life on earth, in a way, is the great filtration system. So I see that we can link those benefits with you know, um, the systemic goals or municipal goals of a local 
of a local interest or a local, let's say, a city or even a company where those benefits that they're starting to provide to the environment, which is sometimes called now ecosystem services, where those services start to have quantifiable benefits and we can align those benefits with the development of a new uh, work sector, which is kind of where sometimes I think of it as like ecological engineering or these ecological engineers, people who are the great workforce of tr of making these things, working, composting, creating soil, putting, they, you know, living roofs, living walls, um, planted areas, and they're doing a mixture of habitat and food growing, you know, land management strategies. They start to be the great green stewards of our of our cities and that doesn't have to be it doesn't have a national you know it's not any nation doesn't have a the you know more of a need we all like all the cities of the world need these kinds of approaches so i i really think that we're looking at a, a growth sector of um no pun intended but of for both you know employment as well as uh air quality beauty and health so one of the questions i have though because I mean, we look at what we've done and what we've we've created. We continue to create product that creates waste, and but um, you know, the only way that we've been able to continue to create employment is to create a po product that's you know that basically breaks, and you have to buy more product. Mm -hmm. This, however, I'm I'm curious because I haven't um, I haven't had the chance to ask you this. Once this is up, is this a self-sustaining system, or does it have to be? Um, does it have to be cared for? And yeah, I mean, is you, it? Is you, there, you mean the concrete part? The, yeah. The well, the actual tile once, part. Once the tiles are up, yeah, is it a self-sustaining? Once it's up and it's planted. Yeah, I, I would. I would think. What do you? Long well, time. Well, I think it's. All right, these are funny. Those are the question will come down to aesthetics. If okay. you know, if you put a bunch of soil and all right, basically, right, it's it's taking the um you know, an oak tree, if you take the bark of an oak tree, if you ironed it out, it would create a tennis court. Right? Right. There's like it's that an understanding of how the earth creates surface area by, you know, through crenellations and niches and complex you know, in, um, little little holes for things, really. So we're looking at, so how do I take these big sterile surfaces of concrete and put the little holes and niches back in them? So say that's what those, that's what the whole modular habitile strategy is about, is creating small niches for soil, but that are interconnected through the porosity of the material so that the water and the um amino acids and the bacteria, the enzymes, so there's enzymatic connection, if, even if the soil mass doesn't touch in all areas. Which So uh, if that's the case, then if you want it to look a certain way, you'll have to maintain it. If you don't really care how it looks and you're gonna, willing to let nature do its thing, then you don't have to maintain it, you know, so much. There, You'll always... Mm, if you right, if you so if you want it to stay green, you're going to have to water it. If you want it to stay trim and pretty, you're going to need to maintain it. But, but like it, the 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 lifespan of the tiles, being concrete and styrofoam, should be like ages. Yes, I think. 
I would exactly. And and if you're willing to say let your side of where you've put it go wild into ivy, you just trim it like you did any building with ivy growing on it, eh? Although the ivy is different because it's actually a twiner. It like it gets in and starts to like grab into the membrane. What we would be I mean, it grabs onto the surface of the building. What we would be doing is we would offset we would have uh some sort of a vapor barrier. Two inches is what you need so that the roots, if they hit the air, they don't want to go into the building. So okay. you'd be creating that's what I was saying about creating a second skin. You'd actually be creating uh, a second, a trellis, a kind of a framing system, and then you put your living skin onto that. So you'd have insulative value from both the air, the vapor barrier, the air pocket, as well as the material that we're talking about, as well as the soil itself. So there's a lot of different layers of, of insulation. And then the maintenance of the living skin, uh, as we said, it would depend. I mean, you probably will want to water it. Depends where you live, though. Like here, we have seven or eight months of dry time. So watering at least, you know, once a month during the dry times is probably advisable. Mm, but it doesn't have to be. You can plant it with plants that uh, go into dormancy, you know, if you're willing to let them go brown. Like the hills here go brown during the summer because the roots are where all the act life activity is being, you know, focused. Well, it's dry in and then when the rains come back, things go green again. But so, you'd be able to use gray water, you said. If, yeah, if for, you had a gray water recycle so, system, it, it could be green and lush year-round. Exactly. And save you money. Yeah. Yes. And um, save you money on heating and cooling. It, and Because oh one of the God, things... I can't even... The list is so long on how much money it can save you. <laughs> yes, if people were paying for their carbon effect, if people were paying for, like, the carbon that they create by running their generators to heat and cool their building, that would start to really add up, I think. And then there's also the urban heat island effect. If people were paying for the temperature, like, they call it hot Atlanta, right, because Atlanta in you know, Atlanta, Georgia, has gone up between 10 and 15 degrees since the 70s because of all of the concrete, like, Rick, like you mentioned earlier, the concrete surfacing both, you know, keeps the earth from um, trans, right, transpo evaporating, breathing the way we do. The earth does that. But if you cap it with concrete, it won't breathe anymore. And then the concrete stores the sun's, you know, radiation and, and the heat the environment on top of it. So I think we could, if the systemic benefits start to be quantified, um, then I think we're really getting into a large, you know, large amounts of benefits. Well, and, and part of the conversation that uh, that I hope and intend the, uh, this movie to get started is what parts of these things that we're going to spotlight, what parts of those that are good, what are the, you know, the things that make that good? For example, the uh, one of the building systems that we're going to look at, it uses all the water that comes in from wherever it comes in, rainwater, city water, it uses, but it uses all of it four times. Wow. Whereas your normal home or business uses the water once. It comes in and goes right out to the treatment plant somewhere way off in the distance. And um, so how could we bring that using water more times? And this could give us at least twice because you could have this gray water 
And after the trickle-down effect, what's captured could be re-injected into the, the sprinkler system for the lawn, if there's any, uh, toilet flushing. Uh, you know, if people don't want to, it's, it's clean enough. Na nature can make water clean enough to drink, even, you know, even if it was pretty nasty. But um, this could get people using water twice in that building. So there's almost these extra sort of unintended benefits that, that uh, yeah, if you put that in dollars for these building managers, they're going to need some. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking in terms of dollars. I mean, here you're talking about a two-inch um, two air vapor barrier between the actual structure in order to protect the, um, protect the building itself from, from roots and and from vines but a two eight inch barrier and then covered with styrofoam again and i mean the insulating properties of that alone must just be insane so there's your heating bill and your your air conditioning bill brought down a huge huge amount plus you've got your gray water recycling system right there on the side of your building and then let's be realistic about the food shortage situation that we currently have. I mean, I was watching a video and what did they say? We're going to have to we're going to have to produce um in 50 years the same amount of food that we've produced in 10,000 just yeah. to feed the amount of people that we've had on this planet. Here we have a system where once this tile system is up, you can actually grow food on the side of your your building. And you could yes, and you could definitely um, even if you're not going to grow most of your food on the side of the building just because um, harvesting difficulties, but even if you don't, then what what happens is by creating a systemic, you know, fertility, right? That's really what we're getting into. It's like, do we want to have systemic sterility or systemic fertility? Right now, basically, we're polluting everything, you know. At, unprecedented rates and that creates a sterile plus we clean everything manically antibacterially etc and we bleach and we do all this stuff which actually is antibiotic right but we're biotic by nature so we have to kind of come back to the biology and working right with the biological systems and um, coming back into systemic fertility so if we're not using um, the walls for food, which we could, like herbs and strawberries and things where it's reachable and things, it's definitely supplemental. But what it really is, is it is a pollinator uh, support system so that you could liberate your, your ground plane. So basically, we don't need lawns much anymore. The lawn is kind of a leftover from the French, you know, formal garden from, you know, from Francois yeah. Pompier, you know, right, 1500s, we have this formal leftover, which was, it made a lot of sense when the world was very wild. And so you wanted a clean, you know, carefully manicured area close to you so you could watch and make sure no, you know, animals were on your lawn or savage beasts or, you know, create a safe place. Right. So now, though, since there's not this great expanse of wild anymore, what we could do is we can use the lawns like they did in World War II in the United States. It was called the Victory Gardens Movement. And we took most of the lawns. People were encouraged. Tool lending libraries and seed libraries were established during World War II. And people grew in their backyards and on lawns, like the City Hall lawn in San Francisco was turned into a victory garden during World War II. And people grew, I think it was 85% of their food needs were met 
in cities by people growing food on their lawns and their backyards. And so I think that's where we will go. And the building surfaces will be more like wildlife support and air quality, like we're talking about insulation, and we're more about urban heat island effect, while the ground plane will be focused more on food. And and I think that's the way we'll we'll try and create a balance between the pollinators, because if we want to stay with, um, you know, seeds that actually do reproduce, and um, which I think, you know, there was a Rome report, the Rome Office of the Food and Agriculture Division of the United Nations uh, in the fall of 2007 issued a report on um, a global report saying that if we globally transitioned away from large-scale monocultural agriculture to small-scale polycropped organic farming, there would be no overall reduction in food. So that's a huge, huge statement, and I know the United Nations did a very careful study to understand those, the, you know, what, the issuing of that statement is significant in that it's saying we don't have to use all these chemicals and we don't have to, you know, uh, basically use genetically modified seeds in order to meet the food needs of the people on the planet. What we need to do is go back to working with nature and the biodiversity of nature, which creates resilience. Because if, right, if we use monocultures, it's actually a very weak and fragile system that's very prone to disease or invasion. And so you want to have polycultures, and that's, you know, same with energy and water capture and, and use and treatment, right? We want to decentralize as a strategy and diversify. Well, and it makes a huge difference, too, in the in the reduction of in the carbon reduction of not having to transport vegetables right as much um it's it, it, it's a ripple effect and uh but here's here's a spot where some of this we we want to make the change makers wiki site which probably won't be called change makers be something else but um where we can connect some of these things that are going on because another group that we're uh we're going to talk to not far from the tree aren't we Jean? yes Which, yes yes not far from the tree is a group in in toronto that noticed that there's older f- people that have fruit trees on their property that they have them there for the decorative blooms but they have no way they're they can't go out and harvest their stuff or there's fruit trees on church properties and public properties and nobody's harvesting the stuff it's fallen down and rotting um, so they make it a horrible mess. Yeah, a horrible mess. People wanting to cut down these fruit trees because of the mess they make. They said, "Okay, look, we'll come harvest the stuff and uh, let us keep the fruit." Yeah, and they make product out of it, food product. They, they, they make food food product. They they get food for themselves and they and they donate. They, they have like a one third, one third, one third split, and. So groups like that are here in Houston. We have Urban Harvest. Um, groups Several like across that Canada. Would, would probably be more than happy to, say, take the lower level. Say you had this wall was two stories high, maybe the first story of it, and um, and keep it in strawberries or whatever's you know appropriate for the area. <laughs> And har- strawberries would grow so well on there. Strawberries yeah. would be one of the best things, and it's one of the things that, for example, not far from the tree, doesn't run into much unless 
you know, from a community garden. Urban Harvest here in Houston has a lot of community garden space that they encourage. Uh, but but I know that there there are people that are are working in this food gathering off of you know public lands or unused lands, uh, and you put that together with uh, these habitiles, and uh, it can be a real boon for uh, food. Yeah, that's great. And I thought when you mentioned the transportation ripple effect, it's also the refrigeration, right? So, because we spend huge amounts, of, I think forty percent of the United States energy use goes to heating and cooling, well, to building operations, basically, and primarily uh, that means heating and cooling. But so, when we think of food, it's the same thing. We're heating and cooling. We're transporting. All of that is energy that we would save by uh, operating locally. I, you know what? I'm... I, not to mention, you know. <laughs> Uh, because we don't want to, we don't want to talk to the people that talk about you know food not being pure and being treated strange. Most of the fruit uh, that we eat in a big commercial grocery store has been shipped from very far away, and they ship it fairly quickly. But let's face it, they pick it when it's green; it's not ripe. Right. And they put it in a container and they ship it train, truck, whatever. And then when they get it to the city where they're going to now release this fruit to the grocery stores, they pump that container full of ethylene gas. Oh, God. Well, you know, people need to know what they're eating. Um, Ethylene gas, they have ripening rooms, uh, they call them. Ethylene gas makes fruit. uh, You may know that most people know that if you bring your fruit home in a plastic bag from the grocery store with a twist tie on it, you should take that off or the fruit will rot faster inside there. Well, it's because fruit naturally produces ethylene gas and it makes it ripen faster. But uh, we're taking a natural process and forcing it. And um, so it does two things. The fruit doesn't keep as long in your house because it's been given this highly accelerated dose, you know, of this gas mm. um, that continues to ripen after, even after it's been exposed to the gas, it continues to ripen and accelerate at, at an accelerated pace. pace. So, it, you know, so you wonder why, you know, grandma used to buy or, or pick tomatoes out of her garden, put them on her win- window and let them, let them ripen. And they'd last for, you know, you, grandma could leave her freaking tomatoes living, sitting on the counter for a month. They didn't go bad. Right. Right. I buy tomatoes now. They're, they're gone in, in five days. Wow. You so, wonder why. Why is that different? Now we know. It's, um, you know, because they gassed them. And, yes, it's it's a duplication of a natural process. But, yeah, that's that's kind of like going and say, okay, you can cut my kidneys out. I'll just do a dialysis instead. Okay. Because it's a fake. <laughs> well, that's a natural process that we've just yeah, reproduced. Take my heart, give me a new one. Yeah, not make so it much. electronic. It's, and you know, and and so th- those of us that have had the chance to have a garden, um, or to be around a garden, uh, or friends or family with gardens, have had some vine ripened tomatoes, some tree ripened fruit, 
Uh, it's my favorite part when I lived up in the hill country of Texas. Fredericksburg was about 20 miles away, so about 20 minutes away from where I was living, and it's practically the peach capital of Texas. Uh, okay, all the other towns in Texas don't don't flame me. I'm sure somebody else has the claim, maybe, but there were there were peach orchards all over the place around Fredericksburg. So you just come Saturday, you just got in your car and you drove around, and then they found a guy with his truck on the side of the road and he grew it on his trees, on his land and picked it yesterday or two days ago and here it is, take it home. Now that's food. You you know what, I'll I'll give you the fresh food challenge right now to anybody listening to this show because I grew up in farm country with gardens in my backyard and I'm telling you right now, the closest thing that I've gotten to fresh, fresh food like the kind that I grew up in is an organic store. Go take the money that you were going to spend on a Friday night out. Go spend the extra money on organic vegetables for one week. That's all I'm asking for, one week on organics, fruits, and vegetables. And the taste is enough. We're not even talking nutrition value, but the taste is enough to make you triple think ever going back to your grocery store down the street. Because it's such a difference in flavor, such a difference. It, it's it's a food that's literally alive in your mouth. You can taste the energy off the food as opposed to the energy that, you know, isn't there in the food that you get off the grocery store. Then let's face it. Let's take most animals and and we'll go put some of this ethylene-gassed fruit on the ground mm-hmm. next to a tree. They're still going to climb up in the tree and pull that stuff first. You watch them. They will. Uh-huh. That's um it. Because it tastes better for a reason. Our taste buds are designed to f- help us find the nutritious food. And they've been abused by, you know, That's highly concentrated artificial flavorings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I marvel sometimes at, at uh, even at nice restaurants. I'll get a tomato and I it, it's like tasteless flesh to me. You can't, you can't eat it. Compared to tomatoes that my grandmother grew or that I grew when I was eight. I've worked Uh, in restaurants all my life. I don't eat the vegetables that you get in a restaurant. And uh, uh, so, wait, uh, enough bad-mouthing the food. No pun pun intended. Okay. Well, I want to ask some some hard questions about um, about policies and stuff. So can we take a break? Take a break, yeah. Listen to a tune, and then we're going to come back and ask uh, ask some questions about those lawmaking people over there yeah, and here so, and everywhere. And, and, and a lot of people say, well, yeah, these are problems, but I don't know what to do. And they just kind of run away from the problem. And the time when we run is all over with, says Jordan Okrand. So we'll have a listen to that, and we'll be back in just a minute. Stay with us, folks.
That was our buddy Jordan Okrand. Who uh, will be writing the um, theme song. For we have we have asked him to see if he can come up with a theme song for us. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. But I know that all you have to do is listen to his music, and uh, you'll know that he writes about what he thinks about and what he feels about and what is going on in his world. And uh, so... It's going to be beautiful. So there's a link, and there will be links on our archive page. If you're listening to uh, the podcast, uh, be sure and check it out because uh, he does great work. Speaking of great work, Speaking of hard great questions work. To, for this great worker, you said? Well, hard questions for this great worker, but first got to say something. And okay. I'm probably going to say it at the end of the show to you. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this. I hope so, Aurora. Hi. But you and your idea are an absolutely God-given gift to mankind. And I just want you to know that. And I want people listening to know that because this is a a solution that we've been, I think, praying for on a subconscious level for, for a long, long time. And I hope that people recognize that and they recognize the potential of this and they support you in 
any way, shape, or form that they can, either by passing your information along or, or getting you financial backing or whatever you need to make this a reality, buying the product, putting it on their buildings. It's it's absolutely, in my mind, ingenious. And I have this beautiful, amazing vision, having lived for far too long in Toronto, um, of walking down, you know, to the to the downtown core in Toronto and just seeing green everywhere I look. And um that really excites me. So soften some of those ninety degree angles too. Oh my god, what too many squares in this world. So <laughs> It'd be so beautiful. Um No no pun intended about there being too many squares in <laughs> Get out of the box, damn it. <sighs> Speaking of boxes. Okay. Um Let's talk about the box that the governments have um, have have built around people like yourself who are coming up with some of these solutions. I understand that in certain cities in the states and in Canada, I'm not going to say we're any better because we certainly aren't. Um, we've we've pulled some really idiotic moves in our government in the last year, um, and and times past with regards to the environment. There are places where you can't grow a garden. <laughs> On your own property, um, there's places where you can't catch rainwater, and um, there's places where living off the grid is just simply not acceptable. So, have you run into any of that so far? Um, I know that you'll battle through it if you do, but have you? And what kind of problems have you run into, or are you anticipating, if any? The dreaded code compliance. Yes, exactly. That is it. Code compliance. But there's also... I think that it goes with that is insurance risk. And um, I find that the basically the design is driven primarily by insurance mitigation. There's um, right now it's a risk averse, right? It's risk averse econ- economically, but that's also structurally people are uh, wanting things that, right, so there's this thing about having a habitat or having living walls on your building. It, things can fall down. Yeah. There's water. There's roots. It's not, you know, it's not a completely uh, problem-free scenario. I think you can, like we said, if uh, we start to really think about the second skin, um, but then you have what you're getting into is. Uh, envelope, you know, you're, you're, you have, you're extending your envelope into the sidewalk area by a certain amount of, of space. So that starts to get your, you know, if people are building very tightly and they do in general, right, there used to be codes that required people to leave a certain amount of land and green space around buildings. That's no longer the case. People, you know, have found ways to build out to maximize their footprint for real estate value. And so they're not um, leaving ground plane around the the building. So to come and clad a building is possible, but then you might have, you know, you might be a little over your setback or uh, you might also be starting to get into some risk. I San Francisco, um, the Public Utilities Commission in San Francisco was really ahead of the curve, you know, for the United, well, for California. And they, um, it was in 2007 that they 
made it legal for people to catch rainwater. Uh, until then, it was also illegal to even catch rainwater in San Francisco, although maybe people did it, but it wasn't legalized, and therefore people couldn't have cisterns or uh, systemic you know, solutions to uh, catching fresh water. And uh, now I think that has changed, uh, and I think we're getting into this is there's this kind of um i think we're we're looking at two kinds of benefits there's benefits to the building owner and that right now i think the building owners or developers uh have borne mo- a lot of the cost and a lot of the owners people often the developer doesn't actually want to own the building they sell the building as soon as possible i think if developers had to there were rules that made developers have to own buildings for a certain amount of time, like five years before they were allowed to sell them. They would build buildings completely differently because they would be um, involved in the maintenance costs. If you build really cheap, you know, your your maintenance costs go up. And I think that's what we've been talking about is looking at the systemic benefits of building insulation, water sequestration, air quality, as well as, you know, basic local resilience and longevity of um, of our systems and our structures. So I think, I, I just see that there's these kind of two factions. There's one that's focused on insurance risk and doing things as cheap as possible within codes um, so that they can stay, you know, away from risks and away from problems. And then there's these big problems that are looming for us in the United States. Our stormwater infrastructure is at is in really bad shape. And there's reports about that, you know, especially where you have what's called a combined sewer overflow systems, which means they've basically capped the rivers in a, uh, a city and then put them under streets. And every time you flush your toilet or every time you wash your car, all of that runs directly into the same place the creeks run. So you have both natural water and also then all of our piped water that gets added to the same tubes that go through the same treatment systems. And when that happens, when it rains, you have, that's why it's called stormwater overload, or you have the stormwater that is combining and then it when you get too much rain, all of our toilet water that's still being added at the same rates it always is, all the sho- all the showers, all the you know um, dishwashers, et cetera, adding to the to the stormwater create too much of a load for the system, and it we um, pollute our water bodies. So I think those now we have so we have crumbling stormwater infrastructure because it's getting old and outdated. It's also not up to capacity for the growing populations. And at the same time, we have these old out, outmoded systems that don't um, encourage for infiltration. And the more we pave, the less infiltration of stormwater we have into the ground. So I think that we're, we're going to get to this place where the codes will start to be mm, dictated from systemic benefit perspectives instead of individual ownership perspectives. And I think we're right, we're watching that juncture right now start to work itself out. Absolutely, because some of these things are just nonsensical. Yeah. Um, you know, there's 
an example. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know that it that you can't catch rainwater. You're, you know, people claim you're diverting their rainwater. Well, this infiltration. Let's face it, folks. When it rains on Mother Earth, there's a certain amount of it that just soaks in, doesn't go anywhere. And you lose that when you pave it over. It's got to go. It's going to run. Uh, water doesn't behave. It, it it goes to. It seeks its level. It it's going to go to the ocean, and it's going to do it the fastest way it it can, when it's not soaking into dirt. And uh, but there was a fellow that was building a car dealership. He knew he had to wash a lot of cars. Car dealership, eh? And um, so he built a rainwater catching system that would, you know, catch some of the rainwater that fell on his property. There's still a lot of it that was just concrete, so he couldn't catch all that. But, you know, catch the rainwater off his roof and use it to wash his cars. Perfectly uh, logical. Yes, it makes, it's just common sense, it seems. Well, yeah, he was given the kibosh on all of that. Um, Couldn't do that. Well, what about the mother in the States who who almost went to jail because she planted gardens in her front yard? Yeah. Almost 90-some-odd days in jail because she had a family of four and felt Wanted that... to feed them. Yeah, they might want to eat, you know? Um, the video that, that you were referring to earlier, uh, Jane, um, that we we saw uh, Mr. Doiron, yes. Doiron, uh, yes, Worked on a campaign and a petition to get uh, a kitchen garden started again at the White House. There always used to be one a long time ago. No chef would have operated without a garden right outside the door for herbs and things uh, because they couldn't get them somewhere else. And um, uh, he's looked at it just in his household. And... uh, I believe they've got two or three 23, kids. $2,300. Like $2,300 a saved. year that they didn't have to spend on food wow. because they got it out of their backyard. And he talked about the Victory Gardens after World War II. We got to where is the entire United States, 40% of all the vegetables and fruits in the United States were grown in somebody's Victory Garden. Wow. Um, and right now it's maybe 1%. And yet Um, we have more mouths to feed on this planet than we have ever had, but... And less money to feed them with, less less water, less... Less resources. And (laughs) I got to tell you, growing up, my... my, I mean, if uh, Spock was here, he'd be just shaking his head. uh, Yeah, (laughs) he would raise one eyebrow and say, fascinating. Uh, (laughs) Because it's... Look, I... I spent summers on my brother-in-law and sister's farm growing up, and we had irrigation systems. We had five wells that he drilled into the dry Kansas southwestern because he was growing corn because it was worth money. But corn doesn't grow in that part of Kansas because there's not enough water. You know, So we'd pump all this water up, and all of these genetically engineered and hybridized, patented Monsanto grains they all needed way more water than the wild stuff. And uh, people are starving, and the federal government was paying my brother-in-law to take cert- you know, huge sections of his farm and just let it go wild. Please don't grow food. We'll pay you. Um, so 
you know, there's there's a lot to be done to try to straighten out that whole thing. So you can just skip right past that. You know, if you live in an apartment, get a container. Get one of these upside-down tomato plant things. Whatever. Grow a, get a window garden from one of our other folks. Yeah. And Because even if you grow just the tiny bit of your food, if most people did that, or half the people did that, the impact as far as quality of life and carbon going into the atmosphere would be huge. Millions of tons of CO2 would be avoided. Wow. Um, it, it just... And I want to talk about, that's what I want to talk about now, is is the long-term impact on this. I mean, if, not if, when my vision comes to realization and the cities are covered in this amazing green skin um, that you have dreamed up <laughs> and, and others will jump on board with um, helping to manifest into a massive successful reality, um, once that happens, I mean, what are we looking at long term with regards to environmental impact? I, I... Yeah, that's. I think that's the exciting part. I'm just. We just. I think, and I, I'm trying. Like, I'm working. I'm working with a really lovely um, family right now, and we're developing an um, an art and greening program with a mental health facility, and so we're going to put up a living wall, um, not like the habitile, which right, the tile for habitat that, that I have, a you know, habitile.com, I have a website that is really focused on this modular, but I, uh, modular, you know, vision, but I, till now I'm still at the handmade stage and I will, so we're, uh, with the mental health facility, we will be working um, on something we're going to call this art and greening program, Lifescape. Instead of landscaping, we're lifescaping so that we start to put the systemic benefits and I think, you know, into the hands of the people who are um, really disenfranchised from having, you know, control over their lives. It's like, you know, when you have property, when you own property, you have some control, you can do things. But like you're saying, it's like a lot of people don't own land. A lot of people just are, have apartments, and so finding solutions for them uh, where, you know, they can do things for themselves. But then there's also, it's like, can we start to create systemic solutions where people can create equity, you know, in in their local uh, cities by starting to contribute to these systemic benefits that we're talking about, about having you know, long-term fertility or having, right, this, the temperature mitigation, having carbon mitigation, it basically creates local resilience and local self-reliance where then people don't have to burn so much carbon, both for their food um, or for operating their buildings, but also you don't have to go to work so much. You can stay home and do things that are of benefit to yourself and your society without having to participate in that this problematic economy that is, you know, really, you know, not in alignment with the health of the planet. So I think that's what we're starting to do as well as we're looking at the systemic benefits of equity and um, how we can use our lives and our hands and our, you know, our own efforts 
to make the place we live better by being there. I think that's really like we're reclaiming our lives. We're not just reclaiming resources. We're reclaiming our lives as a gift to the earth. And, and that's, I think that's really, you know, it's for our own dignity. And as a species, it's kind of our opportunity now is to come, you know, up to, um, to rise to the challenge of our times and really uh, embrace ourselves as stewards of the planet. Well, on the, the the benefits, we could we could go till midnight talking the benefits. Uh, I put a link in the chat room a minute ago. Uh, forgive me, but I'm prone to do that. Um, it's a study, little thing, you know, um, that they did here in Texas at uh, Texas A&M University, mm. it, where they worked together. Now this was this is strange enough, right? But the College of Architecture and the College of Medicine worked together and it studied and figured out the health benefits of having gardens in hospitals because people were building hospitals that covered every inch of the property and you didn't have anything alive. Um, there is a huge reduction in, in disease, stress, and stress is the cause of an awful lot of dis-ease, um, and, and an overall improvement by by trackable clinical indicators. Remember now, this is the College of Medicine and the College of Architecture. Um, and uh, seeing plants that are alive, that are living green plants, just you don't even have to go touch them, just looking at them, is all they're studying here, really. And... Um, and there were huge reductions in their stress-related illnesses, their job absences. So we can make it make sense for money, the job absences. But come on, wouldn't you want? Don't you want to feel better? Right. I, I mean, well, what do you do you when you're surrounded by bricks? If you want to get down to the money aspects for for the bosses out there and the big corporations, um, the Asian companies have already proven time and time again that when your staff are taken care of with things like meditation and game rooms and proper nourishment and downtime and quiet rooms where they can be alone and green rooms where they can be exposed to um, a positive healing environment, their productivity goes through the roof. So this has been proven already. Yeah. My my confusion in this is how we have fallen so far off the track with regards to this. There are no plants in our schools. There are no plants in our hospitals unless somebody brings you flowers and then they're probably cut. So they're pretty much dead anyways. Um there are very rarely plants in our office places unless it's for aesthetic value. And then they're the big boss probably fake. Has a whole bunch of, and then they're probably fake. Big Boss has a whole bunch of plants in his office, but, you know, of course, Big Boss has a secretary to water them. And he has I, a big yard around his house, and he has azaleas or flowers or something. He pays somebody to deal with because he doesn't know about those things. But he's getting the benefit. And yet we expect 
massive amounts of people to live in concrete jungles um, and to be removed from the very nature that provides us with the energy to survive. It is, I, to me, it's it's akin to to the way that we mass produce cattle. Um, knowing that my daughter goes to school in an environment where there are no plants um, just ticks me right off. I can't believe the schools haven't figured that out yet. I can't believe the hospitals haven't figured it out yet. Or if they figured it out, I can't believe they haven't acted on it. And, you know, this study was published at an international exhibition in 2002. <clears throat> you got any new gardens in your hospitals that you've noticed lately? It's, it's stunning. <laughs> I know there's a firm here, Anshin and Allen, that is a, an architecture firm, and that's what they focus on specifically, is on health you know, healthcare facilities, and they, um, and Kaiser, all, I was on a little team with the Kaiser uh, project where they are, that is one of the things they're doing now is when they build new, fe- so it's a new, it's new building, right? You have, you can't, it's harder to, to redress the older facilities, although I think the Habitile is a really good solution for that redressing, no pun intended, right? The, uh, the barren surfaces, but I, um, I know that now that new builds, when new build, you know, happens for health facilities, they are making sure that you can see to the outside into some living space from every, you know, every room possible. I think it, it's happening, but, you know, it, people talk about bottom line, and and that's, you know, for some reason, life is seen as extra. <laughs> yeah. Eliminating life is not extra, but life is extra. <laughs> yeah. Sterile concrete and mirrored oh. glass and stuff. It's, just, yeah, it's well, it's just so many things we've got backwards. And yeah. um, you know, um it, 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 we're turning it around, but it was backwards. It's the ways to go, but like you said, this is a way that because um, that's another very corporatized view is, well, then we can't fix it. So in all the new ones we build, we'll do this, and, and, and well, we'll tear, tear down these old ones because they don't have gardens and build new oh, ones. Oh, good, yes, let's create more waste. That's a perfectly logical solution. When we could go in and, you know, Habitile would be rough perhaps on a glass-scanned building, but... Uh, on any other building, even if it's got lots of windows, the habitat can go right round the windows. Yeah. Um, Hi, Rick. <laughs> I mean, you, look, you put a grid, you put a supporting grid on the outside of the building that then gives you a vapor barriered air gap of insulation. Uh, and you, you guys are all buying double and triple paned windows, but you say we can't fix the walls. Well, here you go. Fix the walls and the people. Yay! Yeah. Wow. And the birds and the bees and the butterflies because the pollinators, we need to really support the pollinators right now. They're having such a hard time, you know, with this colony collapse disorder with the bees. And just generally, wildlife is really having a difficult time of things. Although I think, you know, some things are getting better. They just, we did get a study released that the Bay, like San Francisco Bay, the water quality is better than it's been since, I think, 
the early 1900s right now. Um, well, like I said, that, we're turning it around in many ways. I, I think but. we've definitely, I think we've definitely gone over the crest. Um, I've said that several times in the last few shows. We've we've reached the crest. Turns we've the topped corner. the crest. We've, we're on our way downhill. It's it's all down here from he, hill from here. Um, and I, I think that's what's most important is getting people to realize that this isn't. Well, this, and one reason it's down all downhill from here is because of people like Aurora that are willing to stand up and say that look, this is the truth of me. They ain't, there's not enough plants around here, and there's too much styrofoam. So let's fix this. And I, it, I know that's So we'll not, take that and we'll mix it with that because there's excess of that. And then and we'll, we'll grow something some in, it in it and it. stick it to that because that's <laughs> not very attractive. Because that's what we've got, people. We don't – we're not going to, like, evap, you know, tear down everything and build it again. And we're not going to – I'm telling you that not in any rapid fashion is the population of this planet going to go move into tents and teepees. It's not going to happen. No air conditioning. They're not no, going. but here's a viable solution that would it, also, right. as she said, create employment because somebody's got to make this shit. That's it. And somebody's got to install it. Somebody's got factories gonna, sitting yeah. oh, sim- sitting empty because they don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. And people want to know what to invest their money in. And this invest is it in our freaking future. This is the sort of thing. In our future. Yeah, this is the sort of thing FDR was talking about in the New Deal was, look, there's plenty of work to be done and plenty of people that need work. What's the problem? Yes, that's let's, exactly. Let's go, people. And yep. But, you know, there has to be this political will. No, there doesn't. No, there have to wait for be them. a people will. If you're going to wait for the politicians, it's nothing going to happen ever. Except be the people. Lots of trips to Boca, Boca Raton and <laughs> other exotic destinations. Don't for, be the people. You know, we the people fucked it up. We the people are going to fix it. It's well, and it's it's. I'm sorry. I hate to, to be blunt about I that. To, well, I hate to blow America's horn, but people look. It's in the, it's the beginning of the document. We the people, not we the government, figured out that we don't sure. like England. No, we the people. This is not working, so we're going to do something else. Okay, it's revolutionary, eh? 1776 kind of revolution, but. Now we don't have to shoot at people. All you got to do is show people benefits, and if they're corporate stiff neck types, show them the money benefits, and show everybody oh, else all the benefits. benefits in this. Huge financial that's benefits. Not, I see huge financial benefits out of this. Um, so let's take a quick, another quick break. Um, throw us a, a Thrive song if you if you have one. I have yeah. a Thrive song. We will play right on. You know, so theme from Thrive. A bit of that, and then um, and then we'll, we'll come back and, and we'll talk about website. Aurora, tell them where she's from. Yeah, where to find her and how to, how to find her. How to get to supporting this stuff. Thanks. Quick. Thanks. We'll be right back in just a minute. Stay with us. Yeah. 
Thrive movie from our friends over at the Thrive movie. That's the theme song for the movie. And, um, well, hell, just listen to the lyrics. I mean, if that doesn't inspire you, I don't know what will. <laughs> right? But um, that's we, you've made our point so beautifully about uh, why we're even thinking about making a film is that there's answers right here, right now, folks. We, we don't have to wait for some future generation to figure this out. There's answers here. This is an answer. A, a gift from God inspired spirit inspired answer it really is it's a bright light on a really dark night and I just again no words for the value and the worth of this idea and this person I'm just absolutely honored to call her friend absolutely honored to call her friend thank you Nikki I feel like you guys are wonderful you know shining lights as well and allies and you're bringing such good spirit and good energy to people so that, you know, people, it's hard. It's hard to keep going sometimes in, uh, you know, in the face of all the all the difficulties. And sometimes we just, we need to, to resource with each other and, and help each other keep, you know, keep our spirits up. 
Please, God, do not give up. <laughs> Please don't give up. No, no, um, no. I mean, it's just a. It's it's just an approach and a proof thing, you know. Show the doubting Thomases a little goodies. Uh, hell, code compliance. You go talk to these city council people in a lot of places. They got to run for election. Here in the U.S., they do. And everybody's always wanting them to do something good for the environment, but they're like, but look, we don't have any money in the budget. Well, okay, so just change the code so that we can put some plants on this building. You can tell everybody about the fantastic ecological triumph that you made as a city councilman, and it don't cost you a dime. They I'm make the other you, people pay. With the screw-ups over the tar sands right now in Canada, this is the kind of idea that if a Canadian politician jumped on backing this kind of idea, this is something that would get them reelected. Oh, nice! Yes, I think that's that's a because one to look at. It. It's one and, of the one of the things we do here at Everyday Connection is look at the ripples and the connections because sometimes it's easier for us than the folks that created the thing because you 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 created the thing and you're busy being the rock that's falling into the lake and and we're watching the ripples. Um, and then I see the ripples are spreading pretty freaking far. Yeah, we've only gotten out to the first ring or two people on the uh, the depth you know this is a project of great depth even if it doesn't reach breadth it's um we got to live with the earth and the other things that live here not pave them over and push them away yep i was thinking when we were talking about the oceans and you know how this Really, it's all stimulus. Like everything goes back to the ocean, right? It's like everything in the world, all of our pharmaceuticals, all of our garbage, and all of this. Like everything we put on the earth ultimately makes its way through through the earth and through the water table back to the oceans. And we were talking about how, you know, the oceans are the indicators for us about how we're doing in our role as stewards. And I, whereas like. You know, you give a man to fish, he eats for a day, whereas you teach a man to fish, he'll eat. And I was like, well, he'll eat from the rivers, but you respect and restore the rivers, then we'll eat forever. I, You know, so I'm. it's like that's really when it comes to it's our willingness to really, you know, step into our role as caretakers. And, like, I know that's personally, like, what I've needed um, – I have the vision and I have a lot of passion for this, but I really need, like – someone who's a business leader, someone who understands how to navigate business negotiations and and things that that's something I've kind of I'm waiting. I'm kind of waiting. Somebody that used to go undercover as a red tide Republican. Yes. You see my profile picture? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not available to go to work for the organization. I got a little movie to make, but I got lots of ideas. And how to translate things. It's what I do. I'm a, I'm a channel. I'm a translator. I translate things. Uh, and we got to get together with this girl and, and have a have a think tank session because um, a couple well-worded letters to the right people on her behalf just might blow this shit yeah. right out of the water in a way yeah. that we never imagined. Uh, all it's going to take is one person um, with influence to pick this up and go, aha. Aha. <laughs> There's a cool solution. Look at that. Yeah. So, so really, that's that's my that's my manifestation dream for the next month is that that person is going to you know not come and take over her work, but be there to support her in everything that she dreams of doing because she's not just dreaming of creating this thing and sticking it to walls and, and improving our environment. 
she's dreaming on such a large scale. I mean, we're talking about massive employment for people, opportunities for people who before now may not have been considered employable. Um, you know, I mean, this is something that can be done by the average guy with minimal amount of training. You can get them to start installing this product. So these these factories and that are flying fallow and unused and, and sitting there empty could be put back into back into production to produce this. Um, there's there's and, and you, out there you, trying you, to clean the ocean. City planner, controller, council guys have got problems with buildings in certain parts of town, people spray painting stuff on them. Right. People don't. Those same people would likely not spray paint a living plant. They just wouldn't. It's just... No, um, they might just pick a strawberry. So, <laughs> Which is okay. And, and, and that's okay that's with me. Let's, let's get a little nutrition on these people. Because, well, I'm not saying these people. I don't like the way that even sounded coming out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> I understand what you're saying, though, Rick, exactly. In, in, in disadvantaged neighborhoods where people say, well, these people are disadvantaged. Well, yes, they are. They don't have access to to uh, green living spaces. They don't have access to fresh produce. They don't... Right. surrounded by nasty, gray, dark concrete. How can you possibly expect them. I'd spray paint positive, something on that too, me. Have a positive <laughs> outlook on anything when they are not only undernourished, underfed, undereducated, under opportunityed, and then they're surrounded by gray crap that doesn't breathe, it doesn't inspire, it doesn't do anything other than than take up space. Psychologists so, are trying to figure out why these kids say prison's no worse than living at home. Well, everything's gray, you got no options. You run in a rut every day. You do the same thing. Sound yeah. like sound like jail to me. Sound like prison to me. Yeah. And and you and like I said, I'd spray paint some walls. colorful stuff on the walls too. You Absolutely. Know? But we could even do prisons. We could. I think. I think that's my. You know, it's like we don't. If we could demilitarize the planet, I think if we could in a week. I. It seems like we could get together and in a week declare global peace. How? How? Why? If we. If we the people. Right back to we the people. If we the people were voting. I think we the people could uh, vote for global peace in three days or however long it takes the sun to cycle around. So I I think that's um, back to, you know, what we the people as a species really want. We want to be peaceful with each other and we can transition this economy away from military and control and oppression and, you know, separation and, you know, all the fencing and the walls. And we could, you know, start to really come back into um uh, our own, our unity and our global unity with all life. And uh, I think we could take, basically kind of take this whole thing and turn it back, you know, turn it forward, you know, to to a place that we all want to be part of again and where we can really look to each other as um, as friends and allies and, and not as, I don't know, not as commodities and not as threats. Not as numbers and not yeah. as enemies. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, the website is Habitile, H-A-B-I-T-I-L-E dot com. Um, folks, you can go there and check it out. There's some cool uh, videos and animations there. You can see that Aurora's on about plants on flat surfaces, too. So uh, be careful. She'll get you surrounded in the jungle. And that's, <laughs> that's a really good thing. My dream. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, have plants all, I have plants everywhere. all through my house. Um, 
and my plants love me and I love my plants and you know it 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 makes a huge difference and while people are surrounded by gray cubes and squares and rectangles there's just not a lot of love going on yeah. and they everybody on this planet if they felt loved and supported and accepted right where they are as they are world peace would happen tomorrow you wouldn't have to declare anything people like that don't fight right. and 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 you know i'm no sociologist and i'm no psychologist but i'm telling you that things like this make people feel better and you know let's be selfish about it i want to feel better you know, it'll do a lot of good for the whole planet, but I want to feel better. Let's put some plants up. Next time you're stuck in some waiting room looking out a window, you won't be looking at another mirrored building across the way. You can look at something that's alive and green and maybe birds flying around and butterflies. And Doesn't that sound better? Yes. Does this require a lot of thought? Need I go on? <laughs> okay, sorry. So okay. this mount. <clears throat> no. Okay, I got it. You know what? At the end of the show, my daughter pasted this on my on my Facebook um, wall, and why I was looking at my Facebook wall, I don't know. But because the ones who are crazy support. enough to think they can change the world are the ones that do. That's from yeah. a fourteen year old. Yeah. Exactly that. What a way to end the first show of the year, Aurora. Again, it's an absolute honor to call you friend, and um, thank you so much. This was thank so much you. fun. Yay, I'm grateful for you. And, um, uh, and we'll be talking lots more because we got lots of everyday connections to make. Yeah, and lots of, and a movie to make, too. Oh, hey, yeah. Yeah. something about a movie. <laughs> what? Right, a movie? <laughs> Hollywood, here we go. Do it. Thank you, Thank you so much, both of you. It's been a ton of fun. All right. Dick guys, we're out. We're um, out. Join us again on Thursday. We have uh, who's coming on Thursday, Jane? Claudia. Uh, Claudia Hines. Yes, Claudia Hines and husband to talk about more eco sustainable environmental stuff. Yeah, show you how you could get a lower electric bill and be friendlier to the planet. That's a win win situation, folks. It's what we're going for. So until then, stay connected. Night. Join Rick and Jean again next time. Until then, visit their website at everydayconnection.me and be sure to like their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection. Worried you might miss an episode? Don't worry. Subscribe. Find us on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free just like your everyday connection. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. 
So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.